The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ledlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. Candace, I think one of the most interesting parts of the conversation that we've had in these last several weeks, because you and I talk almost on a daily basis, but only one of those conversations a week is recorded. So I've had the privilege of walking alongside you and hearing your mind shift and your process of deciding whether or not to opt in to playing with the Sparks this season or to opt out. And there are so many factors that go into a decision like this, and every individual decision is going to be very individual because all of those factors are individual. But a couple of weeks ago, you said you hadn't made the decision yet. Then last week when we talked, you were closer to making your decision, but we're still weighing some of those factors. Where are you at now? I know you've told me that you've decided that you're going to play, but as much as you're comfortable, will you walk me through that decision to, to join the Sparks this season? Honestly, I don't know if my daughter's working for the WNBA or what, but she has been the biggest advocate for me playing. I had a feeling that she would be that deciding factor for you. Layla every day to the point where when finally I was like, okay, I think we're going to go. She had her suitcases out and was like laying out clothes, (laughs) laying out bathing suits. This past year, and this is before even the year turned, so 2019, when she's playing basketball or walking from the gym and she's like, mom, I can't wait for the spark season this year. Like I can't wait for this summer so I can go to the Staples and watch you play and all that. And that's kind of how it has been. Although I, it's my responsibility to weigh, you know, the safety concerns and which I'm still doing on a daily basis, but it is really cool that she wants to go and is excited about me playing and she's going to remember this obviously and I think she has a little friend that's going to the bubble as well so I think that has some of it yeah it's kind of like summer camp for them she wants to get out of the house and go somewhere and so I think that's what it is no but honestly if this is in fact a bubble and we are safe for me as an older player to not have to travel to not have to get on an airplane just in terms of recovery I live an hour from where we practice in LA so that's at least two hours of a commute every single day where I'm sitting. I've had some back problems, so that doesn't help. This could be a good situation for me and my body. If it wasn't for Corona, then, you know, I think this would be the perfect scenario. It's like you have to preface every statement with that, right? Because that is the overlying factor in all of this. Do you think that your decision would have been different if the WNBA, like the NBA, limited whether or not you could bring your daughter from the start of it. For a package deal, wouldn't happen. You know, it's like if they leave, then they can't come back for a certain amount of time and all that within the WNBA. But with the NBA, we talked about this in, in, in past weeks. That's unfair because you would never ask, I don't think you would ever ask a mother to be without their kids. And in the same sense in this world and we're fight for equality and all that, I don't think you should ask 
a father to go do their job without their kids either. Speaking of the NBA, this week we did have more news in regards to the return to play plan as the schedule was released this past Friday. We're going to have opening night again on TNT. Doesn't it seem like a lifetime ago that we had opening night on TNT? Seems like two or three years ago that it was opening night. Like we were in New York shooting promos for Ledlow and Parker, and it seems like it was two years ago that we did that. For preseason, that's when we went and shot in New York. Yeah. What, three or four days before the season started? Yep. And all that's happened since. It's been a a whirlwind. The reopening night, we'll call it, is on TNT, July 30th, Utah, New Orleans, then LA, LA. As you looked at that schedule, were there any surprises to you? Anything that stood out? I'm really anxious, honestly, to see Denver. I know that the Lakers and the Clippers are probably going to take a few games to hit their rhythm. New Orleans, I'm excited to see them as well, just to see how Zion comes back. Is he in shape? But then also Lonzo Ball, we got to give him some credit. He was playing extremely well. He was like the catalyst going in um, after All-Star break and even after, I would say, December. But Denver with Jokic coming back like half uh, who he was before. (laughs) Let's say, let's hope it's not half the player. Make sure it's just the weight. Yes. Yeah, just half the weight. Okay, so again, as we make every statement, coronavirus aside, you can't set it aside because you talk about Denver, their practice facility shut down as of Saturday because of positive coronavirus testing. Same thing as you mentioned the Pelicans. Their general manager, our former teammate, David Griffin, said that three Pelicans are isolating, self-isolating after testing positive. So it's impossible to set all of that aside because whether they're asymptomatic or whether they're sick for any given period of time, these are teams, these are rosters that won't look the same as they did in March. And so when we have these conversations about who could be in, who could be out, who could take the the title, or who could even be those last couple of spots in the, the playoff race, how do you have that conversation yet? There's just so much that has changed since mid March. I know on the NBA side, it's charter flights. And that's the way it is. You know, you charter where you're going to and from, from their practice facility, whatever. I've been most concerned about players that don't have a specific gym to go to and you're going to a random gym. I mean, in the WNBA, we don't have a practice facility. So I'm training at Sierra Canyon. I'm training at the Sports Academy. I mean, there's a number of gems that we're, we're trying to train, train at. And so with that comes the concerns for contracting the coronavirus. Right. Who else has been here? There, there's no way of you controlling those kind of outside factors. And you can't control it. But also, as a team, I'm not necessarily concerned about the tests that have already come in a week or two ago. Uh, even Jokic, uh, I'm not concerned because I feel like it's not going to really put a dent on his return. He's, it's not going to delay that much. But if you're right before you leave testing positive and you're already trying to get some type of rhythm as a team and it's only eight games. So you know how momentum works. If you mess up and lose the first two games, that's it. Or what if a star gets it? I mean, that's the biggest concern. We've already had Jokic a star get it, but there's a number of other stars that would kind of change everything. Well, the Brooklyn Nets have been affected that same way. We saw DeAndre Jordan announce this week that after testing positive, he's not going to Orlando now. And Spencer Dinwiddie now tweeting about the symptoms that he's felt like, that he stayed in bed longer than he had stayed in bed for any previous injury. 
So again, even if as you're saying, you've tested negative a couple of times as the NBA is going to require before you take the court, to what quality are you running up and down that court? You know, if it's as fast as me, then not going to be where you want to be for playoff level competition. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's any answers. I think it's the world trying to function alongside the virus. And so far, the virus is one. You know, there's been at least 16 players in the NBA that have tested positive for the coronavirus. And I think your question that you've asked every week has been at what point is it too much? I have asked it every week. Like, what? who is it that has to test positive? Or how many of them have to test positive? Or how sick does someone have to get before we say no? Or, I mean, organization. Does it have to be an organization that says I'm not sending my team? I mean, and you're looking at it as the league being all young and healthy. Got some coaches, a lot of coaches over 60. I mean, Alvin Gentry has said that he is going to coach the New Orleans Pelicans. But at the same time, you know, from the team standpoint, it's your job to protect your employees and it's your job to decrease the liability of something happening. And at this point, can they say they're doing that? Another question that we've brought up often, but I think there's been a lot of interesting conversation around it specifically this week is our favorite word, the asterisk, which sounds right, but it's asterisk, which doesn't sound, you know. Anyway, is whether or not there should be an asterisk next to the NBA and WNBA champion crown this season. Now, we saw tweets this week from several players addressing this specific issue. And there was a really interesting Reddit thread for the last however many years, since 1990, when the Detroit Pistons won. You could essentially look back to some reason why that championship should get an asterisk season after season after season, whether it were an injury or an illness or a suspension or a foul call in some pivotal moment of some game that led up to it. And at first I looked at that and I thought, okay, you know what? There's some fair points here. There are some championships that perhaps we should remember those factors that went into it. This season I maintain is entirely different for one reason, because Every asterisk we've pointed out for any NBA championship up until this one has affected that one team. Never before has there been something like this that has so universally impacted every single player on every single team and every single person that is connected to every single player on every single team. The only challenge I would make to that statement is access because I do believe that this has presented problems universally to every team and every player. But in a sense, like we're in the same storm, but we're in different boat sizes. Like LeBron James access to a gym, to a trainer, to stay in shape is way different than Bam Adebayo, who got sent a basketball hoop by Butler and <laughs> was like, Jimmy Butler sent him a, and he's like, I'm in an apartment, Jimmy. Like, how am I going to? So I do think that there's- Where do I a, install this? Exactly. <laughs> I do think access is a little bit different, but you're right. There's always a big question or there's always a what if and whatever. But at some point in the playoffs, everybody would rather be lucky than good because you do need the ball to roll. And trust me, as a player that has had the ball not roll their way a number of times, it pains me to say that asterisks, see, I did the plural. Oh. I put a plural, asterisk. That's even harder. Yep. Mm-hmm. I did. 
they're a part of the game. It's like, I mean, it's when people complain about the refs, like that's built into the game of basketball. Like human error is built in. So therefore... As our injuries, yeah. as our illnesses. Do you then think that perhaps someone like Giannis has a point in his saying, I mean, just hours before you and I started recording this episode today, that this could, instead of there being an asterisk, <laughs> give him a gold star, this could be the most difficult championship that anyone's ever won. You know how, like, you want people to believe something, so you just put it out there? You said this. I mean... Let me start shifting the narrative here in my favor. Exactly. (laughs) Like, I want my daughter to like vegetables, and I'm like, mmm, these vegetables are amazing. Like, I'm selling it, and then I'm like, hey, eat the vegetables. Like, that's basically, essentially, like, if Giannis wins the championship, that's what he wants everybody to think. So you can kind of change the narrative, direct the narrative, get out in front of the narrative. I don't know what you want to say, but that's what he's doing. And kudos. Yeah, exactly. Kudos. Have you weighed the, not just physical toll of all of this, but the the mental toll as well? Because you mentioned like you will have your daughter there. You will have support. A lot of these guys are going into the bubble without that. I don't know that enough is being made of being in a hotel room by yourself for such an extended period. Like this will be quite the mental challenge as well. I just have laughed at some of the reports um, that have come out and been like, you know, they're experimenting with having like bracelets to determine whether you go off site and like, (laughs) should you be penalized if you go off? And I agree with you. It is going to be challenging. And especially if you're by yourself, I do think that as Americans, and I say that as Americans, it's free of choice and free will. And we go train because we want to. When I was in China, they practiced three times a day and lived in a dorm. And so it's just kind of one of those things where we also, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And I believe that we've earned, and as adults, we should have the right to live where we want and eat what we want. But like, there's other players around the world that do this all the time. And this is what they do. And I'm not justifying or saying either way, but I hope that everybody understands that when you're in the bubble, you're part of a team and you have to play your role. And if you don't play your role, then the safety of everybody that's in there is going to be at stake. I just hope everybody does what they're supposed to. If you can't leave, don't come back in. I do believe there's going to be players that leave. Yeah. You're on week seven or eight and you realize I'm not even halfway there. Or you don't even stand a chance. Like, you're not going to win a championship. Because my thing is, is like, if we're going to go to the bubble, you might as well fight for a championship. Do you think about how teams sometimes start off slow, great teams, and it's like big sample size allow great teams to kind of get, you know, get better and have a cushion. Now it's like, this is the year for, I mean, Memphis to make some noise, New Orleans. I would not want to see the Trailblazers in the first round of the playoffs. I have said and thought the exact same thing. I don't know if you guys seen Dame working out, but he's he is not playing. He did not treat any of this like an offseason. No, and he was listening to Maxwell, which, by the way, he was working out, and <laughs> Maxwell was in the background. I'm like, oh, no, he's mastered Zen. He's listening to Maxwell while he's working out. Over the last month, especially, a lot of NBA and WNBA players have used their voice and have used their voice towards social injustice, Black Lives Matter movement, for sure. 
And now there's talk that it could be either Black Lives Matter on the court for the NBA and the WNBA, as well as messages that you could write on the back of your jersey to send a message or to bring awareness to somebody that has died as a result of police brutality. I am for bringing awareness and attention. I just think we're at a point now where we talk about action. I think it would be super impactful for us to, yes, make sure people are remembering these individuals' names. That's so important to remember and put a name to a face and it just not be a statistic. But at the same time, it's our job and our responsibility to bring about change. And with that, I think that we should put some sort of course of action, whether it be a voting number, a voting registration on the back of Jersey, whether it be an activist that we could support or cover, whether it be a a Black-owned business or even women-founded companies, things like that, that I think would be impactful to not only get our message across, but actually give people something to search, research, be a part of, donate to. It's one of the things that you and I talked about when about a month ago, we started very regularly having this conversation, which is, okay, how do we move beyond processing this together and injecting hope back into the conversation by saying, hey, like, here's some things that you can do to, when you feel hopeless in your home, like, what is it that I can do to affect any of this, to affect change in any capacity? That's how you inject hope into the conversation is here, like this, this is how. And like you said, I I think it would be hugely impactful if rather than simply the visual, which I do believe that visuals are helpful to a degree. It's it's the same way that we draw a red X on our hand during February to shine a light on on, on human trafficking. It's the same way that, you know, protests matter as well with, you know, holding up signs. And when you add an action item, you inject hope into the conversation. And I entirely agree that, that there should be something there. So it goes beyond just that visual. How do you think that perhaps not even just the players, but from an organizational standpoint or from the league standpoint, that could be a point of emphasis? I think that there's two answers to that question. First and foremost, it's no longer acceptable for organizations to just post a, a black square and everybody know like, okay, you're, you're, you feel this, but there's no action behind it. And so you've seen, I've been on numerous calls with Adidas and we've seen the, the strides and the action plans that they have. A number of big companies have made huge announcement of the action plans and the checks and balance system. I think Jay-Z said it and he received a lot of scrutiny towards it when he sat in a room in the NFL, with the NFL. And um, he said, we're past the point of kneeling. And where I know people could disagree and, and agree with that, with that statement, But for me, I think he's meaning we've gotten all we can get from the kneeling process. Now, what is our action towards it? What are we going to do? We've brought, we bring attention by kneeling. Now, what, what do we want people to do about it? And I think it's accountability. I believe it also is having a checks and balance system. We talked about this last week in the WNBA, we're going to go out and we're going to encourage people to hire women. And we don't. We don't have women in leadership positions. We don't have women in decision-making positions as a whole. I won't say none, because I mean, obviously our commissioner is, is, a, is a woman. But at the end of the day, it's so important 
for companies and organizations to back up their statements. It's no longer just okay to feel this way. You have to show it through action. And with that being said, I do believe that the NBA has a responsibility. The WNBA has a responsibility to not just go out and post a red square or to do it for the cause. Like we actually have to promote change. And once you've quoted Jay-Z, I always feel like that's the point. We have to drop the mic on our conversation. A lot of this conversation thus far has been about looking forward, looking ahead to what's next. But I also wanted us to be able to take some time in this episode to look back because we have done 30 of these, Candace. Can you believe that? Got a 30 piece. We've heard from more than 30 voices in and around, I can't even say basketball because sports, entertainment, leaders in our culture. We've had a lot of conversations, fun, light, easy conversations, hard, heavy conversations. There was just no way of knowing when we started this show what the season ahead would look like. Not just the season of basketball, but the season of life that we were about to face head on. So as the uncertainty of these days continues to be the the forefront of every conversation we have as We don't exactly know what my role looks like yet in covering the NBA's return. We don't exactly know what what your days will look like yet in the WNBA's return. This may be the last time for a little while that we get to have a conversation that's recorded. So let's look back. Some of our favorite conversations thus far. If we were to list our first guest resume in detail, it would take all of the time that we've been allotted to actually talk to him. So Kobe Bryant, everybody. Kobe, thank you so much for taking the time. It's my pleasure. How you guys doing? We'd like to welcome in CP3. I'll give you that title today. You could come on Ledlow and Parker and have CP3. If only you know how many times I didn't heard that. The perennial all-star. Damian Lillard joining us now. So with great pleasure, I'd like to welcome in one of my heroes, Robin Roberts. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Candace and Kristen, thank you very, very much. Happy to do it. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, I'm all good. Uh-huh. Thanks for having me. Give it up thank for Chance Corral Chicago. I can't actually believe that you're here. I would like to, to welcome one of my great friends to the podcast, Allison Felix. Hi, guys. Of course, it's my pleasure. I don't think we're supposed to have favorites, Candace, but we are welcoming in Ernie Johnson. For sure. That you tough guys will say anything. It's like, do you say this to all your guests? See, all you have to say is Long Beach, Snoop, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, all the time. CP3 already know what it is. Gabrielle Union, thank you so much for taking the time. You have a lot of titles, but I think that perhaps Quarantine Master may be one of them. Well, thank you. I'd like to think I have mastered the art of boredom. I don't know that we should call any of it favorite because most memorable seems like the better way to, to sum up what this season has been. One of mine was when Kobe was unexpectedly taken from us. I, at the time, and you knew, but very, other, very few other people knew, was carrying the weight of this devastating loss in my own family for a full month. And then all at once, it felt like the world, on some scale, knew that pain. And sitting down and talking to you about him 
was healing for me in so many ways. For us to be able to cry together, for us to be able to laugh together, for us to be able to remember the ways in which he had invested in us, very unique in individual ways, a conversation that I did not feel ready to have, even without microphones in front of us <laughs> at all. Once we had, it was like there was a shift in my mind from the sting of loss that I had carried into every conversation I had had for months and instead towards the healing that was ahead. And when I think back on the most memorable days of sitting down with you and hearing three, two, one, and starting a conversation, that to me immediately comes to mind. Kobe was our first guest. I think for me, I, um, I remember being in the car in New York after the New Orleans Pelicans, New York Knicks game. And I got a text from Kobe that was like, I'm really excited. I saw the promo for your podcast. Can I be your first guest? And I basically said yes to our question. And we kind of were taken, ab taken back. And then when he came on the podcast, he was like, why wouldn't I want to come on here? And, you know, this year has been difficult, but I think his message and his energy on that podcast and the, the knowledge that he dropped in terms for me of you don't have to wait to show your kids the right way to do things. Like the mama mentality is like ageless. You can do it at 80 years old or you can do it at four or five or six. Like it honestly is learned. Do you learn how to work hard and how to put your energy into it? And to be able to, to have that conversation with him and then later on in the year to be able to remember him and have that conversation about him. I really thought a lot about legacy and how you want to leave this earth and what you want people to remember you by. And I think he checked all those boxes. And honestly, it was so rewarding to be able to look back and hear his voice on our podcast. I love that you brought up that car ride in New York because we were what, days away from recording our first episode. And when we had had the very first conversation about what we wanted this show to be, what did we say over and over? It was like, you know what? We want this to be bigger than just basketball. Because at the time, you think you're just going into another basketball season. One that will come, one that will go, one that may or may not be memorable in any capacity. And so we thought, you know, who is it that if we were to have a guest in our very first episode, because we even toyed with the idea of not having a guest, because we thought, you know what, like, uh, who is it that can represent what we want this show to be? And I remember being on that call with the, what, dozen or so other people who were and have been invested in the show and say, you know, uh, what about Kobe Bryant? And from that point on, it was like no other name that were thrown, no other name <laughs> that was thrown out was like, it's, it has to be him. Like if he says no, it's nobody, you know? And so for us to be in the car and for you to say, look at this, and you showed me your phone and it was a message from him. And he said something about the two of us being on the call for that game and saying that he was in. And because he said, yes, it's like everybody else did. The only one that could follow up and scrutinize Kobe after that was Chuck. Chuck had to come on and be like, why did you have him on as the first guest? Like, I mean, he's just Kobe Bryant. <laughs> come on. I'm going to be a much better guest than he was. Yeah. You're like, well, Chuck, get an Oscar and then come talk to us. Then we'll talk. Any advice that you remember getting from anyone that's come on our show? 
Because if I go first, I'm going Kobe again. In his first episode, and the last thing that he said to us. But if you were to leave <laughs> us with any final words of advice for this project that we're launching together, what would they be? I think uh, uh, continuing to touch on um, the person that makes the athlete and the athlete that makes the person. I think there's content like that is, is this doesn't exist out there too much because everybody wants to do the silly superficial stuff, but you guys have a great knack of digging a little deeper and making it entertaining and making it sound fun. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching you guys uh, dominate the podcast space. We're not Damn, crying. We're, yeah, we're, we're not. Yeah. We're not crying. <laughs> Thank you, Thank Kobe, you. so much for that, you for you, and for taking the time to join us. And I love that he said that to us as the final thing that he said on our show because again, we had decided what we wanted the show to be. It was very much like him, and for that to be what he spoke over this show in its first episode, I think just determined the direction that we went from there. He dropped so much knowledge on that show. And I think people can get on here and talk. I mean, it's a podcast. You have to, you have to talk, but you have to back it up. And just watching him continue to evolve and change and grow and inspire. I remember looking at your face after he hung up the phone and we were about to record another segment. And we were just like, he just... Drop the mic. We just talked to Kobe, who was so much more, which a lot of people doubted that he could be so much more than basketball. Yeah, that was kind of the running joke after it he retired. Was, that he wasn't going to be able to do anything. He was going to be walking around <laughs> with his Lakers jersey on, yeah. dribbling a basketball for years, because that's all we ever saw him do. But he put that much passion into his post-basketball career as well. Everything. I'm going to have to piggyback off that. That definitely inspired me. But also... I think it was really cool to have Cheryl Miller and Reggie Miller on our on our podcast. Cheryl Miller, I grew up idolizing. She's, to me, the GOAT of women's basketball. And Reggie Miller, teammate, unbelievable shooter, basketball player. I mean, the things that they said, and it all goes back to kind of what everybody has said at in some words or another of just working hard and being a gym rat. I mean, Cheryl Miller said Reggie was a gym rat. He worked out every day, all day. And you realize how meticulous he is about getting someplace early. Yes. Getting there on time, having the notes, knowing oh. stuff. Yes, that is the mistake I have made more times than I can count is him saying, do you want to get a workout in together tomorrow? And I'm like, sure. And then he'll send me a text message that's like, I'll meet you in the lobby at 4.30. What, like 4.30 in the morning? Like, I don't, this is not, this is not the life that I, what? And that's the thing thing. That's it. And I realized like, if you go down the line of shooters, no statistics or research to back this up. This is just totally my own opinion, but like shooters are so meticulous in the way they do things because they have to be like, everything is just so perfect when you shoot and release a shot. And it's boring to do that over and over and over again. That's why people like myself aren't consistent outside shooters <laughs> like because that. I have to do things different every time. My brother, on the other hand, same thing. So just to like see what they're saying actually be backed up by action, like to see these people in action, working at their craft, perfecting their craft, even into commentating. It's not something that you can like turn off and turn back on. So you and I talk a lot about, you know, 
maybe this conversation can be an example for women working in sports. Or when we talk about a conversation surrounding racial injustice, you know what? We may not get it exactly right, but maybe this conversation can be an example for a white friend with a black friend. Or Cheryl and Reggie, to me, those conversations, even though they were so separate, it's like, that's the example of a brother and a sister having grown up being so excellent that that's the way in which they acknowledge each other separately but publicly. Again, an example for, for family, for a brother and a sister. I love that you brought up their conversations. And we would be remiss if we did not mention our live show, our only live show in Chicago with Chance the Rapper who you slid in the DMs to get on our show. Had to. I thought, you know what? I was the encouraging friend. You did Do yes. it. <laughs> you know what? Shoot your shot. Yeah. I send this so, like nine paragraph, because I'm like, you know what? If he reads it, I want him to have all the information. I don't want to count on him having to respond to me a dozen times. Let me just put all the information. And so I include it. I'm like, you know, Candace Parker and I are, you know, we have this, this, this show and we're doing it live for a Chicago audience. We both agreed, like it has to be you. And it, send everything, the, the date, the time, the location. He just sends back one sentence, like, I'm in. Like, wait, what? Like, and I kept telling it, like, no, I think he's coming. And, and then that was kind of it. That was the extent of the conversation. So I'm like, no, I, I really think he's going to come. Like, I, sure enough, he showed up. It was a great live show. Ron Harper, my childhood idol, playing for the Bulls in Chicago. I had some Pertillos before that show, which was unbelievable. It's my favorite yeah. But anyway, yeah. there's so many memories that, um, that go along with that. I think that the energy was great uh, to be able to do a, a live show like that. Looking back on this whole season, again, we've, we've heard from more than 30 voices. This conversation, I think, is most impactful to me. This is the one that I think I'll hold on to. Is there another that we haven't mentioned yet? I think it's so powerful and you mentioned it earlier, going into the show, we wanted it to be more than just about basketball because basketball is a part of your life. It's not your entire life. Like we still have to be human beings and we have family and kids and things that we worry about in the community and things we're passionate about. So I think the two shows that we did on social justice were so impactful for me because one, we had my teammate Neko Gumake on and she spit some knowledge as well. I remember she always talks about accountability and she shared that on the show. But I think it was just those moments where they are uncomfortable and you don't know what to say and you don't know what to think. And honestly, you're just overwhelmed. And for me to have a place to come and talk and share and listen and feel and try to make this world better. It was super valuable for me. And those are the two shows that I think have been most impactful for me as a human being. Really early on, we talked about if we were to do some sort of hero show, like if you were to reach out to your hero, who is it that you would want to talk to? You said Robin Roberts, and sure enough, she said yes. And she came on our show as well. And I said, Ernie Johnson. And we went the rest of the season without talking to Ernie. And then after weeks of having not seen him, weeks of how is it possible to sum up what our nation had faced by the time we had that conversation. But long before I had met Ernie, I admired him as a broadcaster, but then to get to know him as a person and watching the way 
in which he's led our team in these days. It has been eye-opening for me, life-altering for me to listen to someone who speaks with truth and grace, which is such a rare combination in our current culture. For him to weigh risk and reward work and life in these days with an appropriate scale, which we see seldom done, that conversation for me with him, spanning the range of racial injustice to 30 years of inside the NBA. I mean, who else could, could take a conversation in, in every direction and still speak the way that, that Ernie does? I think only Ernie can. And so his example for me, both as a broadcaster and as a person, I think it's unmatched. There, there just isn't anyone else that not just on our show, but in general, I've learned from in every capacity like I have from him. And so that conversation to me, stands out as well. We've had some pretty great moments over these last 30 shows. The one thing I'm very appreciative for is the ability to come here and feel supported and the thoughts that I have and the voice that we've been given here, I would say, and the platform that we've been given and all our listeners for for sticking with us these last 30 weeks through the ups and downs in the world. But it's been so much fun to be able to do that with the great teammate, Kristen. Thanks for giving me something to look forward to every week, for sure. I feel the same way. We don't know if we're saying goodbye for now or, or goodbye see you later. For, right, yes. We'll Definitely see, see you later. That's what it is. We don't know exactly how long it'll be. Again, the uncertainty of these days means that we'll be in very different places for just a little while. But see you later. Let's end it with that. <laughs>